A reading from the book of Acts. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about twelve men in all. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 to 11, found on page 1002 in our church Bibles. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt round his waist, and he had locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, as he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise We pray that the Holy Spirit would inspire us all this morning. Open our hearts to hear the word of Jesus. Amen. So as many of you know, I worked in Israel in the um, mid-80s. And when I was working in Israel, we were working mainly among the Arab population. And when um, somebody made, one of the Arab people we were working with, when they were able to make a confession of faith and wanted to be baptised, we all got very excited. And we used to take them down to the Jordan. Um, We used to do this very early in the morning or very late at night. The reason being... uh, If a Muslim family had understood that their relative was about to make a a confession of Christian faith, they may well have uh, been quite violent towards us and towards their family member. It was more risky for the family member than for us, it has to be said. Uh, We were also working in a Jewish state where talking about the gospel is illegal. So we had to be really, really careful. These ceremonies, I have to say, were some of the most moving things I've ever been involved in. People at huge personal risk, going down to the Jordan and being baptised. I regularly had tears in my eyes as it happened. But here, in our story, this is not how it's happening at all. John 
the Baptist had been making quite a name for himself. We're told right at the beginning of Mark's gospel, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went to him. With John's eccentric clothes and his habits, he was becoming quite a celebrity. This would have been as public as it gets. It would have been easy for John to run away with the idea that he was the most important thing to hit Israel. But he always points us to Jesus. And then Jesus arrives. And clearly, Jesus wanted to make a statement. And this was a good place to do it. He certainly manages to cause a stir. This was quite an event. He could be shouting at us in our morning days, wake up, smell the coffee. This is about as important as it gets. This is a new beginning. Mark is making it clear to us. John's baptism was a sign of the new creation. Jesus' baptism is a sign of renewal and restoration. There's something deeply subversive about Jesus being baptized at the Jordan that's often missed. Then, as today, it's a river that carries with it waste. You have to be very careful where you baptise people. There are places that are cleaner where you're allowed to baptise people. Um, But there is farm effluent, there is the city effluent in the Jordan, as there was then. Um, And it's heavily polluted. Then, as now, it was regarded as unclean and therefore off-limits to Orthodox Jews. And yet, in that ceremonially unclean, dirty water, Jesus chose to be baptised. He chose to associate himself with the people who weren't in the synagogues doing their thing. He chose to be with the people in the dirty water. And I, I love that. One of the first things that we have recorded in Mark's gospel is Jesus associating with people who would not have been welcome in polite society. He's already turning things upside down. And the Holy Spirit is there to make what is completely impossible possible, to breathe life and light where there's death and darkness. Jesus As C.S. Lewis once famously said, there's no tame lion for us to pet. Mark's gospel leaves us in no doubt that Jesus is going to change everything well beyond the boundaries of the first century Palestine. But it's not about ritual. Jesus had been presented at the temple. He'd been circumcised. He'd shown himself wise beyond his years. Paul, too, in our Acts reading, is clearly wanting people to embrace the Holy Spirit. He was a righteous man. He tells us in Galatians, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So what Paul and Jesus are clearly telling us is this isn't about getting yourself dunked and just carrying on like you've always carried on. Neither Jesus nor Paul will let us get away with that assumption. This is about deep change, working from deep inside our souls and our hearts and working its way outward. When my son Alex was was new, I was having one of my many theological crises, crisi, I'm not sure what the plural is, but anyway, I was having a bit of a theological thing about infant baptism. And I was, I was quite uncomfortable about it. I have, I have to say, standing here with a dog collar on, sorted that one out. But I, I really was quite worried about it. And so Mark, in his graciousness, said, well, we'll get him dedicated. That's, that's fine. Um, and so we had him dedicated. And when I broke the news to a particularly well-to-do member of my family that we weren't going to have Alex baptised, we were going to have him dedicated... Her comment, absolute knee-jerk reaction, was, well, my dear, he will never get into Sandhurst. As if, yeah, exactly, Jane. (laughs) It's kind of gone down in family history as one of those funny moments. (laughs) But clearly, she'd missed the point. She'd completely missed the point. And actually, he would have got into Sandhurst, but but hey-ho, that's... um, That's nothing to do with it. (laughs) So for her, it was all about doing the right thing. And somehow, I've just... You have to bear with me a minute. I've just lost my iPad. Here we are. (laughs) And somehow she had missed the gift of the Holy Spirit. For her, as for many, there had been no understanding of allowing the risen Christ into her life. As many people do, she had never really grasped what a precious child of God she was. And this is why it's important. People today are dying who don't understand this, who haven't got this, who think if they are baptised, they're fine. And that's simply not the case. The Bible doesn't, that's not what the Bible stories tell us at all. They need to know, and we need to tell them. And just because it's too difficult or too inconvenient... That's no excuse. We still have to tell them. Because if we don't, possibly nobody will. And we can only reach out to them if we understand who Jesus is and why he too needed the Holy Spirit and why we need the Holy Spirit. And if we understand that God, who told Jesus he was well pleased with him, is also reaching out to us with the same love and words... He sees us as we are in Christ and is longing to tell us how delighted he is with us. He says, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. Imagine God saying that to you. This is my child with whom I am well pleased. Baptism in the New Testament is as much about death as it is about cleansing. 
Certainly Mark saw Jesus' baptism in this light. Words from heaven echo those in Isaiah of a servant who would suffer and who would die for those who had strayed from God. We need to be prepared when we understand the words of God to die to our old way of thinking, to invite the Holy Spirit to bring new life to the bits of us that aren't pleasing to God. Mark tells us the story of Jesus' baptism in quite solemn language, echoing the Old Testament, as was the custom of the day. When he says he saw the set heavens opened, he's not talking about a little door somewhere opening up in the sky. Heaven in the, in the Bible often means God's dimension, a dimension beyond what we think of as ordinary reality. It's like an invisible curtain right in front of us, suddenly pulled back so that instead of the trees and flowers and buildings, or in Jesus' case, the river, the sandy desert and the crowds, we are suddenly standing in the reality of a completely different horizon altogether. And a good deal of our Christian faith is a matter of learning to live by this totally different reality, even when we can't see it. Sometimes, at decisive and climatic moments, the curtain is drawn back and we see or hear or feel what is really going on. But most of the time, we walk by faith, not by sight. One of the things Mark is saying to us in the way he has written his gospel is that when we look at the life of Jesus, we should understand it through faith. Look at this story, he's saying. Look at this life and learn to see and hear it in the heavenly vision, the heavenly voice. Learn to hear the words of God addressed to you. You are my child in whom I am delighted. Let those words change you, mold you, make you into somebody new. The person God wants you to be. Discover in this story the normally hidden heavenly dimension of God's world. It is so very possible to plod through this life without these words ever sinking in. In Acts, Paul meets the people in Ephesus who are not doing anything wrong. They are earnest. They're well-intentioned. But they don't have the joy of the Holy Spirit. They don't understand why life in Christ should be infectious been baptized so they then wait as John the Baptist told them but I don't expect they have any idea what they were waiting for Paul realizes instantly that they need to hear the word of God word that brings the new life to creation we are made to hear God's words spoken to us in creation and redemption the words of love that draw us into the world God has made the real world of light this is God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He longs to draw us to him. And when we do this, we will, along with Jesus, be equipped to go out of our comfort zone, to take on challenges we wouldn't ever have believed we could. And there may well be a cost in terms of what the world would have us believe. But because we, like Jesus, can hear the Holy Spirit, we will not fall at that first hurdle. But we will carry on and we will triumph. I do just want to say something about what happened in France this week. You, like me, may have been taken aback by the recent Charlie Hebdo murders in Paris. Violence 
in the name of faith is by no means limited to Islam. Christianity has had its fair share historically, and recently we've seen even that the apparently most benign of faiths, Buddhism, has been overtaken by extremism in Sri Lanka and in Burma. There is a lot you could say. But one reflection that comes to mind for me is about how we respond. Does God, as Christians see God, need defending against insult? What is the Holy Spirit, this morning depicted as a peaceful dove, say to help us in our Christian response to such horrific violence? Until recently, the UK had a blasphemy law which protected Christianity, but this was abandoned in 2008. I, for one, was glad, for it seemed to me that God does not need to be, to be shielded for, from our offence. If I believe God was present in Jesus, and if Jesus suffered a horrendous murder, then I can categorically say that the worst kind of insult has already been offered to God. And how did God reply? In the person of Jesus, with forgiveness, and above all, with resurrection, the smartest of all comebacks the worst of all insults. It seems to me that a God who needs defending from insult is a rather weak God. Of course, the real issue is not God taking offence, but how we as believers respond when we are filled with the peace and love of the Holy Spirit. One answer could be to strike back, but another voice might whisper in our ears, pick up your cross and follow me. God is always good. The Holy Spirit is always with us when we ask, whether we feel it or not. So, what is it there here for us at St. Matthew's? What are the signs of God's Holy Spirit we see around us? Where is the darkness in our workplaces or our parish where we need to ask the Holy Spirit to breathe light? If anything I have said has, has struck a chord, there is prayer ministry available after the service, and I would encourage you to come and be prayed for. But just for the moment, we're going to respond by singing our next song, which is asking God for his breath on us, asking God to shine the Holy Spirit where we are. Amen.